This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Every so often, we steer our conversations toward conservation. We want to do our part in preserving our freshwater fisheries and the fish in them. Dave and I are both members of Trout Unlimited, and we try to follow the best practices when it comes to the waters we fish and the fish we catch. But there's another issue that we believe fly fishers should care about, and that's whether the people who tie our flies are getting a fair wage. A good portion of flies are tied overseas, And we've wondered this before. Are we contributing to unfair labor practices by purchasing flies that are actually tied in sweatshop conditions? Or are we actually contributing to someone's ability to earn a living and provide for their family? Our guest today is Peter Stitcher. He's the founder of Ascent Fly Fishing in Littleton, Colorado. And this is a topic that's a concern for him, and he's doing something about it. Peter, welcome to our podcast. Dave and Steve, thank you for having me back on. Great. So, Peter, if you could begin by just talking a little bit about what you do, what your philosophy is about fair labor practices, and then help us understand why that should be a concern uh, for me as an average fly fisher. The the world is a small place, and I think most anglers don't know where their flies come from. And um, you know, most of the, the flies and the products that we use in the fly fishing world here in the West actually come from, uh, from Sri Lanka, come from Thailand, they come from China, or from, from Africa, specifically Kenya. And, um, you know, for, for me, I think for many of us, fly fishing is about community, it's about opportunity, it's about, you know, sharing something we love with, with those that we love. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, the fly fishing community wraps around the globe, and I want to see, uh, you know, this, this feeling of community and opportunity and hope um, shared with those that are also producing our products. And so, um, yeah, uh, at Ascent Fly Fishing, we we have our own fly tying factories, and and our fly tires aren't employees; they are they are family to us, and and we want to make sure that they share in the opportunity and hope um, that we experience on the water as well. So before we talk about that, and that's fascinating. We want to get into that. What what percentage of, of fly fishing products? Well, maybe just start with flies. So if I go into a fly shop, uh, what would you estimate the percentage of flies are that are tied, um, you know, overseas? Because I know some flies will say, "Oh yeah, we we have some local tires," but but by and large, what what percentage are we talking about? I would say roughly ninety percent of flies available in your local shop are going to be tied. I didn't realize that. Is is that the same with some other products like uh, waders or boots or nets? Uh, Yeah, I I would say, gosh, I mean, when it comes to those products, I don't know the exact percentages, but um, for for waders and boots, I'd say the vast majority come from Korea. Um, uh, For hooks, it'd be Japan and Korea or, or France. Um, you know, dubbing and, and the materials are primarily coming from China and, and metal beads from, from India and Pakistan. So, um, you know, wherever you're, you're getting your flies, uh, you know, whether they're, they're tied from a local guide or, or tied overseas, I mean, it's, uh, you, you can't separate that fly fishing is a, a global community 
And, uh, yeah, it, it needs to be sustainable and, uh, you know, for the entire community, not just those here on the water. I understand also that even those that make the claim that, for example, that a waiter or a boot is made in America, the parts or the components are still made elsewhere. And, and so it becomes kind of a moot point making that case in some ways for the product because, in a sense, it is global. Absolutely. I think um, Torre is one of the, the newer materials that I think Sims uses. And, and uh, for a while, that was offline after the, the Fukushima um, disaster in Japan. But I think the Torre is, is manufactured in, in Japan. And, and then, I mean, yeah, it might be sewed up somewhere else. So it's, it can be a little bit misleading. I mean, you go into an Orvis or you, you look at an Oakwood fly, and I mean, those, those flies are coming from all around the world. Tell me how you initially became aware of the issue and and kind of your journey in trying to become part of the solution. You know, ascend fly fishing, our, our kind of our, our mantra or that, that vision of, of ascending is we, we wanted to do things different um, as far as, you know, accessibility of information for our clients and, and willingness to share without, you know, needing to sell something in return. And, and that desire to do stuff different also led us to, to open our own fly factories. So in, in 2014, we opened our first factory in Kenya, and it's about two hours from the factory that ties all of Orvis's flies. You know, we, I'd spent a lot of time overseas, and, and commercial fly tying actually started in Kenya over 150 years ago. So there is wow. a, I didn't a, know a, that. Huh. Yeah, a rich history and, uh, you know, a depth of experience uh, unparalleled anywhere else in the world. So um, my the tires that work with me have been tying for 10 to 30 years on average apiece, um, and um, you know as as we grew we we now have 38 fly tires. Our heart, so my my wife who's my partner Jessica in the company and myself, it's it's to empower and and equip anglers here for success, and and as as parents and as you know just kind of ethical global citizens, we wanted to. To see that you know opportunity and success shared with with our fly tires. So we knew that there were there, there's needs overseas. Um, you know it's roughly 75% unemployment where we're tying, um, but for our fly tires, you know they they make more than a, a living wage. They are supporting um, about almost 274 individuals underneath our 38 fly tires, and um, yeah, we're we're trying to do some some new things that are that are a little different in the industry as far as how we're supporting our tires. How are fly tires often treated? And so what are you doing differently? So I can't speak to uh, conditions in Thailand or, or Sri Lanka, um, where a lot of you know, the major companies do tie their flies. Where we tie our flies, I can tell you, um, you know, across the board, tires are paid per piece. You tie a dozen flies, and for a dozen bass flies, you'll get paid X. For a dozen, you know, midge larvae, it'll get paid Y. So there's a, a, a skill kind of differential there. Um, what we're doing is a little bit different. You know, it's a hand-to-mouth existence if you're only getting paid per piece. We have been challenged and we have been blessed. So I feel like the, the things that we put into place with our factories are not as much a reaction to the need and the disparity of, of wealth that we see in the fly fish community. But instead, as a scent fly fishing has been blessed and as we've grown, we have wanted to share that with our fly tires. Um, I know each of my tires by name. I know their kids 
my kids, you know, uh, have relationships with their kids. They play together. They Skype together. Um, and so, I mean, it's just natural to want to share these blessings with family. So what we do is we have a profit share. So on top of wages, uh, we put aside 3% um, of, of sales. Uh, and we send that over directly to our tires to, to spend for education, to spend for housing. Um, and then since returning from, from training our tires this past November, we've started uh, interest-free microloans to cover health care for both them and their dependents. So as there's a medical emergency, um, they're able to draw from that fund and then just, you know, tie it off. You know, 10 cents a dozen or whatever over time would be applied back to, to refunding that account for our tires. So are they working out of their, their own homes? Or you, you talked about having kind of a factory over there. Yeah, so we have we have two factories in there. It's a small room where they come together and, and we can supply the materials. And it's it's really a family-like atmosphere. Um, so when we, when we visit, when we train, um, we get together, we bring all of our families together. I mean, it's a celebration. So it is a... I mean that tight knit community that we feel here on the river. Um, yeah. That that community is reflected overseas, and uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it is a global sport and a global community. Let me ask a question that just hit me as we're talking. How do you monitor quality and specificity? I mean, I'm sure it's just like other forms of manufacturing, but how do you do that in a factory in Kenya? We, we have multiple tiers. Um, so I source all of our materials. So I'm getting, you know, Whiting Hackle, Delta, Colorado. We're getting the best books from Japan and Korea. Um, and we're getting Feds and Feathers from South Dakota. And then I'm handing over five uh, full hides um, this month in a container. So we have quality of material, and that's kind of the good foundation. The skill is there. And then we have multiple layers of, of quality control between managers and packers. Um, additionally, uh, my fly tires have all been through entomology training. So I'm an aquatic biologist. When I go over to train new tying skills, I pair that with entomology training. So when I talk about this is what a western green drake done looks like, which is that first dry life cycle of that mayfly coming out of the water, my fly tires they have a sample sheet with the approved patterns, but they also have the vials with preserved specimens of our bugs. They can say, you know, this is physically what it looks like on the water. And they understand the proportions then of the wings, of the tails, of the abdomen, and we can match that. So I think we're probably the only one going to that level of, of you know, training to actually teach them the bugs, show them the bugs, equip them with that. And then, you know, they are tied by hand. They are tied by humans. Even with 30 years of experience, we're going to miss a, a whip finish on a fly. And, and so that way we, we just back everything up with a 100% quality guarantee. Are there people, I mean, I, this shows my naivete, but are there organizations that, that automate the uh, fly tying? I mean, they, that they actually have a machine do it? Is that, is that how it's done elsewhere? I don't know. All flies are hand-tied everywhere. All hand tied. So when they say handcrafted, you have to kind of smile and cough a little and go, everything's handcrafted. Everything is handcrafted. (laughs) When was the last time you were over in Kenya, Peter? So we spent most of November there. So my wife and I um, and my kids, uh, Aiden is nine, Emily is seven. And, uh, I mean, they roll around. They're they're eating 
goat organs and bouncing around the country <laughs> and uh you know making forts in the banana trees uh with yeah. my tires kids uh, yeah wow. it's a family business one more thing how long did it take you to build the system and in a sense what you built is a you know you don't just build a quote-unquote five-time factory overnight those relationships take time the system to build it takes time how long did it how long did it really take you know we've i mean initially we made some of those contacts about seven years ago and have been really you know building in earnest these specific relationships with these specific tires for for five years and so in 2014 we started out with two fly tires and one manager by the end of that year we had six and then you know it's progressed up to, to 38 now um, you know there is a, a, a desire a drive to work to provide for their family and and, and our hearts go out to so many people that want to work with us, but, you know, we are committed to the individuals and I need to be able to sustain, you know, orders of you know, a thousand dozen a week um, to, to each of my factories so that, you know, the quality of life for these tires um, can be sustained. Um, I mean, there's, there's no savings. If you don't send an order, if you're not processing flies, they're not eating. And, and so, I mean, I am, I am excited to say, and I'm proud to say, and just, I, they are artisans and they are excellent at what they do. And when someone says, I mean, it, it's naive for someone to say, oh, that's a cheap Africa fly because it costs less. No, I can tell you the individual who tied that fly, and I can tell you what their daughter is studying in college because the flies that we're selling are paying for that degree. So these are the most valuable flies um, you know, embedded in relationship and opportunity. And uh, we actually shot a documentary when we were uh, there this last November, and hopefully we will be submitting that to some film, film tours in, uh, in 2020. You know, what strikes me, Peter, is the whole fly fishing community has been so passionate, and rightly so, for the environment and for rivers and freshwater fisheries and 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 fish and I would put that in the category of things and what I see you doing which is actually really encouraging is trying to connect that passion to the actual humans <laughs> who actually create the products and it seems like if we're going to be passionate about the environment and passionate about the rivers and and all that you know that we have for the last almost 50 to 75 years It'd be really nice if we begin the next 75 focusing on the humans who create the actual products. For fly fishing to be sustainable, I mean, to be able to be passed on to our, our kids and our grandkids and enjoyed through the generations, we certainly need to wet our hands as we touch the fish and return them to the river and, and not litter. And, you know, all these things are important. Um, there's no fly fishing without trout. Likewise, there's no fly fishing without flies or if, if flies are all $7 a piece, um, that's not sustainable either. So the opportunities for a better life, for people to want to invest in the creation of these products that we need on the river, it needs to be sustainable for them so that they have hope for their families, for their future. And uh, I'll tell you, our fly tires are excited to come to work, to be a part of this. And uh, yeah, we're excited to give them a face, give them a voice and let you, you hear their stories. That's really awesome. Maybe one final question. Do you have any plans to um, expand what you're doing into other types of gear, or is that just going to have to be for somebody else to do? 
you know, with waders and nets and, and, and anything else. You know what? I mean, our, our heart is, is, is for, um, you know, it, it's in the flies. And as an aquatic biologist, my, my brain works along, you know, the lines of entomology and math. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. This, this is our, our, our niche. And, um, but I mean, I think our long-term goals is, is how do we do this better? How do we really mm-hmm. make a generational impact? Both here among the fly fishers on the water, I am dedicated to every angler that comes into my shop, getting exactly what they need, not a fly more, and, and getting them, you know, helping them be successful. But likewise, I mean, I, I look forward to 20 years down the road, you know, seeing these kids that were my, my kids' age, having graduated from college, having started their own families, and having, you know, moved up and, into better things. And ultimately, I think we'd love to to buy a couple of acres to build kind of a secure home facility where we have our factory in the middle and housing and a soccer pitch and a playground and garden space and a place where, you know, our, our tires can thrive. And that's, that's attainable. It really is. Um, so yeah, as we grow, I mean, we're just going to keep sharing it back. And if I, I never have a, a ritzy brick and mortar shop with all the highest end brands, that's absolutely okay. I mean, success is going to be, uh, in these kids, uh, both here catching their fish and they're getting a, a better life. Well, that's awesome, Peter. We really appreciate you uh, joining us today. And, and I think like Dave said, maybe if there's a, <clears throat> a takeaway in all this, that we ought to care about humans as well as, as well as about things and about the environment with uh, fly fishing. So, Hey, thanks again for a great conversation. Thank you very much for having me gentlemen. And now it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from Steve in Indiana about our podcast on Days of Mystique on the River. This is what Steve writes. A river can take on a sense of mystique from one's personal history with the place. On the last several trips to Yellowstone Country, I have ended the trip on Tower Creek in the northern part of the park. This is by no means my favorite fishing spot in the park. The scenery is not as dramatic as, say, the Lamar Valley, and it certainly does not have any sizable trout. However, the place is special to me because of what has become an annual ritual. Every year, on the last day of the trip, on the drive back to the cabin to pack up, I stop for an hour or so at a particular stretch of this stream. It is always good for a brookie or two. Sometimes there's an evening BWO hatch with rising trout. More importantly, this is where I say farewell to this beautiful part of the country and mentally prepare for the transition back to the real world. Sitting on a boulder next to the stream, I think about the highlights of the week spent outdoors. Thank God for the opportunity to experience the glory of his creation, and I reflect on life. So this little bit of water, just really a few pockets with a few small trout, has mystique for me. In the depths of the northern Indiana winter, I often think back on those lovely moments on that mystical river. Love the podcast. Wow. Whew. That is really, really uh, stunning, isn't it? It really is. That reminds me, actually, of Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. He tells a story about a man who had lost just almost everything. And one of the things that he counseled him to do was to reflect on his life and some of the really, really wonderful moments in his life about his family and about his children. And in a sense, uh, Steve here from Indiana is really doing that in a sense, reflect when he's in the dead of winter in Indiana, he's reflecting on that really precious time 
yep. um, back in in Yellowstone. And to me, that is that is what mystique is all about. Yeah, that was a terrific uh, comment by uh, Steve. And I, I think you and I have those places too, where maybe we uh, we end a trip, and then hopefully during the winter we we go back there in our minds, don't we? Yeah, I think about that often when I'm not depressed, but really bummed about my choice to live in the Midwest. You mean like on a gray, cold, rainy day in January? Oh my gosh, those days were brutal. But I love my life, and I wouldn't have anything different than my life, but there are days when I just miss the West. Yep. And and so the ability to go back in your mind to these special places, for us, you know, it might be the Lower Madison, it might be 16 Mile, it might be Tower Fall. Uh, there's some great places in Colorado uh, yeah. for me, Harrison Flats. Yep. It's one of the great gifts of, of fly fishing. It is. It really is. Well, that's going to do it for today. What are your thoughts on fly fishing products and, and foreign labor? I mean, we talked about fly tying, but uh, we could expand that if you have some other uh, thoughts on fly fishing products uh, in addition to flies and foreign labor. Uh, we, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, have you discovered ways to make sure we're supporting fair wages for those who make our fly, tie our flies and uh, those who uh, craft our waders? You can respond by commenting on this podcast link at twoguysinariver.com. Tell us how you think about the issue of fly fishing products and foreign labor. And thank you, as always, for referring our podcast to your fly fishing club, TU chapter, your friends. Uh, be sure to forward all the links uh, on our website. There's a, so much content there. In addition to all the podcasts, there's as many articles on the site. If you want to forward those on to use as discussion guides for your fly fishing cl- club or TU chapter, that would be super. We also love to hear your ideas for more podcast episodes. Just reach out, reach out to us on Instant Messenger or email us at stevedave at twoguysinariver.com. One more thing, pick up our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short, catch more fish. You can do so on Amazon. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.